Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, welcome back. Just a few updates and announcements before we get going on this episode. Coming up on HPO will be two guests. First is Aaron Alexander. You may have never heard of Aaron, but you likely are indirectly familiar with some of his work. He is an alignment coach and believes strongly in physical and mental health going hand in hand. He has worked with some major figures in sports and entertainment, including Toby Maguire and Gerard Butler. I will be recording with Aaron live at the running event in Austin this year. So if you happen to be at the expo, definitely come by the Ultra Footwear booth where we will be recording. Second is Mark Kukazella. Mark is coming back on HBO. He first appeared on episode 74, but we are overdue to hear what Mark has been up to. Mark is very informed in the areas of running mechanics, low-carbohydrate endurance, and has run a sub-three-hour marathon for 30 consecutive years. So we'll check in with him on that. As mentioned, I will be at the running event in Austin and hanging out in the Ultra Footwear booth. So if you happen to be in attendance, please stop by and say hi. I will also be participating in this year's California International Marathon as a guide for one of my friends and coaching clients, Charles Cottrell, who is visually impaired. So if you happen to be going to CIM this year, I would love to say hi if we cross paths as I'm helping Charles get from start to finish out on that iconic course. Okay, so I'm excited to share with you my next guest as I see him as one of the more curious professionals out there. Mark Bell, who came on the show with his brother Chris Bell for episode 72, is joining us for this episode, number 266. Mark spent a large portion of his 20s and 30s focusing on powerlifting, where he became world-ranked. He is currently ranked in the top 10 of all-time powerlifters with a total of 2,628 pounds, which includes his squat of 1,080 pounds, bench press of 854 pounds, and deadlift of 766 pounds. Mark continues to train in his own gym in West Sacramento, California, called the Super Training Gym. Super Training Gym is open to the public on weekends and is free for all. So he has also participated in bodybuilding at a competitive level and invented a product called the Slingshot that essentially revolutionized how people train their bench press. On top of all this, he hosts a podcast called Mark Bell's Power Project with his co-host Insima Inyang. You may not guess it with his background, but as mentioned, Mark is curious. So we spent some time chatting about a project he recently did, which was walking 50 miles in a day. Let's hear what Mark has to say about his newfound ultra marathon status. Our friends at Inside Tracker are sponsoring this episode of the HPO podcast. And for this one, we have an extra bit of goodies for you. They are running a Black Friday sale that's going to give you 34% or $200 off one of their ultimate plans. So if you're looking for a comprehensive look inside with blood panel and nutrition analysis, this might be something worth looking into. Or if you are on the hunt for a present that's very personalized for somebody, you can pick this up for one of your friends or family members as well. No two people achieve optimal health the same way. Age, genes, nutrition, and lifestyle all play a part. But no matter who you're shopping for, Inside Tracker's personalized nutrition and performance system 
provides the most detailed analysis of their biomarker data from blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness tracking. So if you want to take advantage of this $200 off discount, you can head over to insidetracker.com and type in bitter pro gift that's b-i-t-t-e-r-p-r-o-g-i-f-t the sale runs through cyber monday so don't wait too long also sponsoring this episode of hpo is optimal carnivore organ meats have long been known to pack an incredible nutrient dense profile with that said most people don't often consume them and if they do it is likely just liver Optimal Carnivore has created a supplement that can get you nutrients that are in organ meats without the hassle of finding and cooking them properly. They have a grass-fed organ complex that contains nutrients from nine different organs in a highly bioavailable form. They also have a grass-fed beef liver supplement made from regenerative farms and includes vitamins A, B12, C, zinc, copper, iron, folate, and more. And finally, They offer a grass-fed bone marrow to round out their offerings. All this comes with a 100% money-back guarantee. They provide a very easy capsule that you can bring with you on trips if you're traveling or just simply as a convenient way of getting these nutrients. You can check all of Optimal Carnivore's products out at amazon.com forward slash Optimal Carnivore and use the code HUMANSAVE10, that's HUMANSAVE10, to get 10% off all products. You can find links and promo codes in the show notes as well as at zackbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. And today I am uh, joined by ultra marathon athlete, Mark Bell. Hell yeah. <laughs> How's it going, Mark? It's going great, man. I don't know about ultra marathon. You know, I walked uh, 50 miles recently just walking it, and uh, that was actually pretty challenging. So I can't imagine, uh, you know, running 50 miles, much less running 100 miles. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a different experience. And uh, I do want to mention before we really get into some of your experience with that, for some of my listeners who are maybe less familiar with the strength and powerlifting community or focus more primarily on running and that sort of thing is uh, you're very much more than an ultra marathon runner. Uh, we actually had you and Chris, your brother on the show back in episode 72. So folks are interested in kind of hearing a little bit of background. That's one to, to check out. You had an interesting thing that I think uh, just sums up a bit of just the way I kind of see you when I listen to your podcast and kind of your thought process. And it, it, it kind of goes back to in uh, relatively early 2000s when you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I believe you, you actually tore your pectoral muscle. I mean, that's a big thing for, for you because you're a world-class power lifter. You decided not to just kind of think maybe traditionally and you, you developed a product that now is like very popular that kind of helps you get through that if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I, um, you know, I always ask people to try to think about what they can do rather than what they can't do. And it's really easy when you get injured. I'm sure you deal with this often, uh, from runners where they hurt their ankle, or I know you've had your own set of injuries and you're, all you can think about is man, running's been taken away from me. Mm-hmm. So for me, you know, with the bench press and tearing my pack, yeah, the bench press is part of powerlifting and powerlifting 
you bench press, you squat, and you deadlift, and you get to uh, take those weights, and they add them up at the end of the day, and that's your total, and that's how you are placed. That's how you win is is to have the highest total, to lift the most amount of weight overall. And so if you if you um, can't bench press at all, I mean, you're really at a huge disadvantage. And so uh, I was prepping for a contest. Deadlifts and squats were going really, really well, uh, way stronger than than I was anticipating. And I felt way ahead of schedule in terms of my prep for this competition. And uh, I was just doing a bench press workout one day and just had a, a tear. Um, it wasn't, you know, sometimes people get like a rupture and the pec will pull all the way off and so luckily it wasn't anything too crazy, but it was a pec tear. I did get some bruising down my uh, bicep and all the way into my forearm and almost all the way down into my fingers. Um, and from, from there, I was just like, well, what can I, what can I do? I'm like, okay, well, I can still squat and uh, deadlift. Although when I squatted, I had to use a specialty bar, a safety squat bar, which has handles uh, that are just right in front of your chest. And you could put your hands on that. So rather than me having to stretch my chest out to get my hands up on a squat bar, I just had my hands right in front of me for my training. And then I just thought, hey, you know, when the competition runs, it comes around, I'll just gut it out and stick my arms back if the pec still hurts. Um, deadlift training, I just had to reduce the weight a lot uh, during that time because, believe it or not, during a deadlift, a lot of people have pec tweaks and some people have even torn their pec doing a deadlift because there's a ton of internal rotation that happens uh, of the shoulder uh, during a deadlift. So deadlifting, I had to just use 50 to 60% of my max for all of my training. But when it came to bench pressing, I was like, what's a way that I can kind of train through and around these injuries? And I was in the gym one day uh, after everybody left, uh, which was pretty common for me because I'm just a super meathead. And I was always trying to figure out an advantage and try to just always trying to figure out ways of getting better. So it wouldn't be uncommon for me to try a new squat stance or for me to try new squat shoes or try a different grip with the deadlift or to sit there and just kind of practice powerlifting. Um, and so I'm just sitting there one day in the gym at the end of a bench press. And I looked at this bench shirt that I had and this bench shirt was designed for a guy much larger than me, even though at the time I was like 300 pounds. Uh, this bench shirt was a bench shirt is a supportive device that people would wear during competition. Uh, it allowed you to not only handle more weight, but it also is very, very supportive to the point where they're normally they're so tight. You have to have a bunch of individuals help you get into the shirt and then the shirt, um, it like will nick you up a lot. It will like mess up your skin a lot, pinch your skin and it hurt. It's very painful product to, to use, but it was part of powerlifting for years and years until, you know, until more recently when the raw powerlifting movement came around and that's lifting without the advantage of powerlifting gear. So anyway, I throw this big shirt on and I tried some bench pressing and I did a plate and two plates and so on. And I was able to actually do like a little kind of mini workout for that day. And, uh, I didn't have any additional pain in my chest. So I was like, well, maybe I can still train for the competition. Maybe I can still do my squats and my deadlifts and maybe the bench will just kind of suck and maybe it won't be great. Um, anyway, I went and competed, and by the time the competition rolled around, my bench press was actually okay, and my chest was okay. Uh, it recovered during that time period that I was using uh, that bigger bench shirt. And so after the competition is when I thought to myself, how do I make and create a device that will allow people, because I've run into so many people over the years that said, 
I used to bench press. I used to be able to bench 405 or I used to be able to bench 315. And I'm like, why are all these old dudes always coming up to me telling me they used to do this, they used to do that? Like, what the hell's wrong with them? And not only, you know, until I ran into my own injury, uh, did I start to understand. I'm like, oh, okay, this is, must be kind of sometimes what happens when you're pushing the envelope and or you're just getting older in a sport. And uh, so I just thought of a bunch of ideas and most of them were pretty bad. Um, <laughs> I started out taking a, an Under Armour shirt. Um, I, at the time I was wearing like 3X and 4X shirts. So I bought like a spandexy Under Armour shirt that was like a small or a medium. And I, uh, I put it on and, and just tried to bench press with that, but that totally didn't work because it didn't give me any assistance. Um, one day uh, I was getting ready to head to the gym and I was just putting on a regular t-shirt. And as I was putting on this regular t-shirt, I just had it up over both arms and not over my head yet. And so it's um, kind of attached, you know, across the chest. It's, it's on both arms, but not quite over the head yet. I didn't put my head through the hole of the shirt yet. And so I just kind of move my arms back, push my arms back and push my elbows back uh, like I'm bench pressing. And I'm like, oh, maybe that would work with the Under Armour shirt that I bought. So I went to the gym and I tried that out and that again didn't work. It just kind of hurt and it didn't assist me in, uh, it wasn't supportive really uh, in the way that I wanted it to be, but it was supportive enough that it gave me the idea of like, okay, this is the correct thing like something needs to stretch across your chest uh in order to give people support uh in a bench press and so from that point i took some uh wrist wraps and wrapped them around my uh my biceps and then had my dad hold this strap uh in the middle and it's funny because i just grabbed these wrist wraps out of the back of the trunk of my car you know everything was just so uh at that time organic and my dad holds the strap in the middle and uh, I was like, yeah, hold that pretty tight. You know, so I, I uh, tell him to hold on to it. I go to do a bench pressing motion. I pull my elbows back. But as I pull my elbows back, the strap <laughs> snaps and it hits my dad in the face. And he's like, oh, well, that that's not, that's not going to work. That's not what you're looking for. I was like, no, that's exactly it. That's exactly what I need. I need that tension across the chest. and I need the support to come uh, from the elbows. And so from there, I just, you know, a lot of business and a lot of just um, being successful in anything, it creates a lot of um, resourcefulness. You need to be resourceful. And so I started to think about these wraps. I'm like, you know, what kind of wraps do I have in terms of knee wraps and wrist wraps, these supportive products that we use for powerlifting and for any heavy lifting, really. And I said, okay, well, I have a, a bunch of them because I've been buying them over the years. And so I took a pair of knee wraps and I was like, okay, these knee wraps would be great uh, to do this with, uh, to make this kind of product with. And then I started thinking about, okay, who knows how to sew, but not only how to sew, but how to sew this thick material. And um, I asked my wife and she's like, I kind of know how to sew on like a button or something, but she's like, I don't know how to sew through a giant knee wrap, you know? So I asked a couple other people, uh, they were like, no, I was like, they're like, I think you need like an industrial sewing machine for something like that. Then I remember my wife, my wife is a swimmer. And I remember her telling me that her friend would sew together uh, suits for the swim, for their swim team. And uh, so I met and I met this woman um, at a Starbucks and talked to her about my idea. And she goes, oh yeah, I could sew that really easy. I got a, an industrial machine and it will just, I'll run it right through there and it'll be no problem. 
so I met her again at that Starbucks about a week later, and there happened to be a Fitness 19 that was close by. And I said, um, she, so she brought the, uh, the the product with her all sewn up and everything. I was like, oh, this looks great. I'm going to go to that gym right there. I'm going to try this out real quick. I was like, can you stay here? She's like, sure. I'll wait till you get back. So I pop into that gym and just pretend that I have a membership, which I didn't just blow right past the front desk. And uh, I put this thing over my arms and I lay down on the bench and I do 135 for a few reps. And I was like, wow, that felt amazing. And then I tried two plates and I moved two plates around a bunch of times and uh, that felt even better. It's getting great support from it. And it just, the elastic properties were giving me some good oomph out of the bottom of the lift. And it was felt very protective of the shoulders, of the elbows and of the pecs. And when I got up off of that bench, I was covered head to toe in goosebumps because I just felt so excited. I had this idea for a really long time. That's probably something I didn't necessarily mention. I had this idea festering in my head for like four years and I went to a bunch of different companies and I told them about my concept and they were like, we don't really think that's going to be a thing that would sell really well. Um, and I had some friends tell me like, that doesn't sound like a good idea. Um, I went to a couple buddies that I knew had some money that would potentially be able to help. And they're like, no, I only invest in stuff that's safe. That doesn't sound like it would be, you know, a great product. And so I actually, for a period of time, I kind of bought that story. I was like, maybe it's not a good idea. I've had, you know, 10 people tell me that it sucks. Uh, and then unfortunately, uh, my oldest brother, Mike, uh, he died. He had a lot of uh, drug issues. And um, that changed a lot of things for me. That made me kind of, uh, that put a lot of pressure on me. Um, I kind of own induced pressure of just kind of recognizing that life is precious and life can be short. Uh, and so from that moment on, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm not going to die with a bunch of ideas that I think that I, that people need to know, know about and people need to see. And I'm not worried about the logistics of it. I'm not worried about anything. All I want to do is produce a cool product that I think is fun that other people can really benefit from. And this product is that. And so I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that I make this product, even if I'm the only one that likes it, you know? So, uh, then it was a matter of finding a manufacturer and it was probably a few weeks later that I just on my phone, I typed in, uh, uh, knee wrap manufacturers and I found a handful of them. So I just used my iPhone. I went on Google <laughs> uh, stuff. All people have access to, you know? Um, and the first, uh, the first company that I found, uh, things didn't work well with them, but the second company I found, uh, things worked out perfectly. And we ordered, my wife and I ordered 5,000 slingshots and we sold, through uh, 4,000 of them in the course of a year, which is kind of the exact number that I thought we would sell just because I just, I'm not necessarily a numbers person, but I'm like good at like random estimations of, of uh, what may happen, especially, and I'm, I'm very confident in myself. And so I, I felt it was going to be a good idea at the time. I don't know why I felt so strongly about it. I didn't need to order that many of them, but I was like, I'll be able to sell these in a year. And I think the reason why I did that was I just wanted to put pressure on myself to, um, put that thing forward and, and make it work. You know, once, once you make the decision, 
Uh, now it's kind of up to you to uh, to make it work. And fortunately, it worked out really well. And that was over 12 years ago. And that affords us to have a 23,000 square foot facility that we podcast from. Uh, we also have about an 8,000 square foot gym, which the gym is free. And the gym is free because that's afforded by uh, the company that I created and the products that I created. The product is called the Slingshot. And that's our flagship product. That's my invention. And uh, very proud and happy to say that I um, am a United States patent holder a couple times over after making a handful of products over the years. And it feels good to not only have made those products and have them be a success from a financial standpoint, but it feels amazing to have people utilizing these products and saying like, man, my elbow used to hurt so bad. Now I'm able to do some of these things that I love. Uh, my wrist used to hurt or my hip used to hurt. And we make products for all the joints of the body pretty much. And so it's great to hear people uh, enthusiastic and so pumped up to the point where I've had people come to me at trade shows crying. They're like, man, I uh, the bench press was taken away from me. And for people outside of lifting or people outside of running, they might not understand that. But man, when you are injured, uh, it just, I don't know, we're so connected to this that it feels like it's a major part of our, our identity. And when you're hurt and someone's like, hey, Zach, how's it going? <laughs> you almost don't even want to get involved in answering that question because you're like, hopefully they don't remember that I said I'm doing this race in December, you know. And yeah. <laughs> you just don't even want to get into it because it, it literally uh, can bum you the hell out. So anyway, that's the story of uh, the slingshot and uh, it's been doing well for a long time. Yeah. And I think there, I mean, there's a great parallel in there with running too, because like you said, I mean, it's the same kind of mindset, just a different activity where you, you invest a lot of time and energy in it. You learn to love it. You start to recognize all the little wins along with the big wins that come along with the whole process. And then something happens unexpected and it gets pulled away from you kind of abruptly. Uh, and there's just something about that, like not choosing to stop versus being forced to that I think really kind of eats at you a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, you have the different products and running that kind of get you back to things maybe a little quicker than you'd be able to otherwise. And, and it sounds like that's kind of sort of like what you did with the slingshots, uh, where you have this device where, you know, you can, you, you get hurt, obviously there's nothing you can do about that in terms of going back and correcting the mistake that was made. But if this device allows you to continue to train or at least put some sort of work towards progress, then you can eventually kind of get back to where you were before. But is the, is the slingshot something that people are just going to use from a, like a maintenance standpoint to deload some of those sensitive areas so they don't find themselves getting hurt? Or is it something that is more, once you get hurt, you hop on uh, Mark Bell's uh, slingshot.com and order one up. Um. You know, the slingshot is really, it's, you know, I, I'm the inventor and the creator of it, and it feels like a third child to me in some ways, but the thing is fucking awesome. There's no other way to put it. It's a great product. I mean, picture, I know everyone listening to this is probably big into running, so just picture that you put on a shoe that takes away your knee pain completely or takes away your ankle pain completely when you've been sidelined with these injuries that have really uh, just messed you up uh quite a bit the slingshot is the only to my knowledge it's the only product in the world that you can throw on and it takes maybe about 10 15 seconds to put on and your pain is pulled away uh not for some people their pain might not be might not subside to a hundred percent but i've had people who've had rotator cuff surgery uh at trade shows 
and they're like, I just had rotator cuff surgery about three weeks ago. And uh, they're there putting it on. I'm like, well, I don't really suggest that you try any bench pressing or push-ups for today because the booths that we had set up at these trade shows, they could uh, bench press. And uh, they're like, no, no, I'm good. I want to give it a shot. <laughs> and they'd give it a shot, and uh, they would they would feel great. They were like, I, they're like, I can't believe this. This is amazing. So people are always super excited uh, at the powers of a slingshot. It helps you with uh, bench pressing, push-ups, and dips. And um, I think probably the key factor in the whole thing is that when you go to do certain movements, you're just at a mechanical disadvantage. And that disadvantage is actually a lot of times part of the major benefit of the exercise is the disadvantage that you get to. An example could also be uh, a full range of motion squat. Well, when you get all the way down to the bottom, you're at a massive disadvantage and it's hard to squat deeper than it is to squat more shallow. When it comes to bench pressing, a lot of folks have kind of avoided that bottom position of the bench press because your shoulder is in a uh, compromised position. It's not like the body's not designed to do that, but the body probably isn't really designed to it. You can't really give me good explanations as to where else in nature you would have both of your hands, uh, arms, pinned back uh, where your elbows are back behind your body and you have large amounts of weight on you. You know, you could make an argument, well, okay, you might need to push something. Um, you might need to throw or whatever. But again, you're not going to find a situation where you have 200, 300, 400, 500 pounds uh, in your hands with your elbows pinned back behind your body. So a bench press is a... It's kind of a strange exercise in some ways. And even when you go to do a push-up, there's only X percentage of your weight on your hands and, and on your chest. And there's only so much stress you're going to get from a push-up. But a push-up can be very difficult and challenging for a lot of people, especially novice folks, especially people who just don't have a lot of upper body strength. And so the slingshot, what it, the main thing that it does is it's allowing you to uh, utilize your range of motion in a normal fashion, just like if you didn't have the slingshot on, with the small exception of it's going to passively help you get into a better position uh, on the bench press and on the dips and on the push-ups. It's going to pull your elbows in a little closer to your body, which then uh, kind of prevents the shoulder from rotating as much. If your elbow is really far out, if you're bench pressing with your elbows up really high, as opposed to bench pressing with your elbows kind of down and in, your, sh your front of your shoulder gets stretched tremendously. And sometimes that could lead to some shoulder damage. And that's definitely something that we don't want, especially uh, for those of us that are trying to get stronger. And so in order to go through this full range of motion uh, on the bench press with a slingshot on, it feels a lot easier and a lot more natural to actually pull your elbows in closer to your body where they kind of belong in the first place. But what the slingshot is doing is it's acting as double muscle. The, the way that your muscles work during the uh, course of a bench press, as you go to lower the weight in a bench press, as you go through the eccentric portion of the bench press, the muscles are lengthening. Well, the slingshot is doing the same thing. It's stretching and it's lengthening. So it's giving you some passive uh, assistance on the way down. Uh, because that tension is accumulating in the slingshot 
and it's actually giving the weight some resistance. So it's helping to kind of hold the weight up for you a bit as you go to come all the way down to your chest. And once you start to press, your muscles are contracting and shortening, and so is the slingshot. So the slingshot is an outstanding device to utilize for anyone who has run into nagging injuries in the shoulders, the elbows, the pecs, but it's also a great tool just for strengthening. And just for those people that, if you're not gonna compete in a powerlifting competition where you're asked to bring a weight down to your chest and pause the weight and press it back up and demonstrate that you uh, you have you know great bench pressing technique and, and uh, know how to do the lift properly, then there's really no reason why you shouldn't be, in my opinion, shouldn't be wearing a slingshot quite often. Uh, for a lot of your training, it can help you with increasing hypertrophy. It can help you with increasing strength. And even in the case of a power lifter, it could simply just help you to overload weight. So let's just say your bench, your best bench press is uh, something like 275 pounds. The slingshot is going to add about 10 to 15%. So it's now going to allow you to maybe bench 300. Maybe you might even get a little bit more. Maybe you can do 315 pounds or something like that. And so... In my opinion, what that does is that just gives you a huge confidence boost. Now, when you see those three plates on the bar, you're not extremely frightened. Um, I don't know if any of your listeners ever have ever tried a reverse band squat or a reverse band deadlift or a reverse band bench press. These are all movements where you just you, you hook a band up to the top of a rack and it helps give you some assistance and it makes the weights lighter at the bottom and heavier at the top. Uh, that's exactly what the slingshot does. One more note is that I want to reiterate the fact that when you're at the bottom of a bench press, your shoulder is in the least advantageous position. As you go to push the weight up, you're getting into more favorable positions. This is why you could hold up a lot more weight than you can push off of your chest. You know, pushing a heavy weight off your chest, you might find that to be extremely difficult, even with, you know, 185 pounds or something like that. Even with your body weight, you might find that really difficult to do. But to just hold your body weight at arm's length probably wouldn't be challenging for a lot of people that are that are active. So the slingshot, it has a lot of benefits. Um and it's something that I still personally utilize um, probably at least two or three times every single month. I don't use it in every single workout um, because sometimes I'm just doing different things and I don't really, uh, I don't always feel like I have to use it. But it's going to be something that people are going to notice is going to help them get stronger even when they're not using it anymore. And that's a big question that we get. People say, well, isn't that cheating? Cause it's giving me assistance. I, I don't want stuff to give assistance. I want everything to be harder in the gym all the time. And the whole mission of my company is to make the world a better place to lift. And in my opinion, the way that we make the world a better place to lift is we lower the level of entry. We make things a little bit easier. This doesn't mean that we're not going to still pick challenging things to do. This doesn't mean we're not going to go full blast on some stuff here and there. Uh, but I want things to be easier and I certainly want people to be safe. That's perfect. I think like the, the interesting note there from a running perspective would be kind of shoes with that too, where I think there's a lot of value in working those lower leg muscles and those foot muscles by reducing the amount of cushion or even doing right. a very low profile minimalist shoe, but you are going to work those muscles a lot more aggressively. So there's a point at which you're just not going to really strengthen them too much more from that activity. And you hit an end point where that might be a limiting factor and some other areas of your body, maybe you'll tolerate a bigger training load. So 
then maybe after a day or two doing some workouts in a lower profile shoe, you can eke out a little more training with an, a little more cushion shoe and kind of alleviate that area and get an overall larger training load without the negative uh, side effects of possibly hurting that area that's getting kind another, of stressed. Yeah. Another great example would be uh, like running on the beach as opposed to running on some blacktop. I mean, yeah. man, that feels that feels so good to, to, you know, to run in like soft sand, like it's actually kind of uh, harder on your body because it might get you more winded because it's a little extra effort. Um, but just to run and run on something soft, run on, you know, run on some grass, uh, man, it feels amazing in comparison to running on some concrete. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you really do feel your body kind of using all those muscles when you get on some of those buried terrain and such the soft stuff. So, uh, cool. And I think, um, before we move on, I do want to share, like, you know, eventually you got over that pectoral tear and went on to, to break some world records, I think, right. What was your, your, your biggest powerlifting score? And then what was your, your strongest bench or your biggest bench press? Yeah, I did an 854 pound bench press. Um, I deadlifted or yeah, deadlifted 766 pounds and I, uh, squatted 1,080, uh, kind of interesting at this point, it seemed like, uh, it seems like a lifetime ago in, in some weird sense, uh, because I, I don't train the same way. Uh, I don't have, I don't have those exact same goals that just, um, at this point, what I'm working towards and we'll get more into is I'm working towards being more proficient at running. And I don't know how far, how much, or I, I don't really have any, I don't have any expectations, which makes it even more fun. Um, because I don't even like, I, everything is new. So everything is a PR <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and that's a, a fun feeling. And like, I have like random PRs cause I'm like, I'm going to run from this thing to that thing. And I don't even measure it. I don't even know how far it is. Um, there's some, I mean, just the other day, I just ran one lap around the track and I'm like, I just want to see if I can get under 90 seconds. And, and I got a little bit under 90 seconds and I'm like, all right, well, it, this will be a difficult goal because to maintain that pace for four laps would be a real bitch, but uh, <laughs> I'd like to be able to do like a six minute mile. So mm -hmm. that's uh, one of the goals I'm, uh, I'm throwing out there, but the, the weights that I, that I lifted um, years ago to me at the time, I remember like we'd actually have people visit the gym. The super training gym is a gym that people have been visiting uh, from all over the world for over a decade um, because we built up a lot of strong athletes over the years. And again, the gym is free. So anybody listen to this that wants to ever come check it out, even if you're um, even if you're a runner, even if you're someone that does, triathlons or marathons or and you're like man i don't know about this <laughs> this gym that's got these super strong people uh, i'd love for you to come check it out um because we don't really care so much about someone's strength level although that's always nice to see someone demonstrate some strength because that's what we're into um we like to we just like to see progress and that's what we're all about and so those numbers that i did years ago i remember when people used to come in and we'd have people kind of uh doing their own workout but they'd watch some of our stronger lifters lift and they were always amazed at it and i always just kind of thought like this is just a byproduct of a lot of work done over a long period of time and just kind of being able to if there's anything amazing about in my opinion, if there's anything amazing about almost anyone's success is the fact that they've been able to 
do it for a long period of time because that's the way that you're able to get to anything. And so these people that we marvel at that run 100 miles or these people that we marvel at that squatted 1,000 pounds or I heard more recently of a guy like bear crawling a marathon. You know, I just saw that story. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, just some just some wild, wild stuff. But if you were to ask that guy about the bear crawling, I mean, he might say, look, man, it, it hurt my fingers and it did this and did that. And I was messed up for a week or two. Um, but the thing to always the thing to always really note is the fact that any of these people that we look up to in that way they were able to get their body prepared for or their mind, body, spirit prepared for it. And so I think the take-home message is that you can get yourself prepared. You personally can get yourself prepared for almost anything. Uh, maybe the level at which you're starting at is much lower than the, the some other people that you know. And so therefore your end point might not be as far along or might not look as impressive as the next person. But if you went from only being able to squat your own body weight and have tons of pain in your knees to now being able to squat with one well, a 45 pound plate on each side of the bar it's like shit man that is some tremendous progress and i think we tend to like just maybe not think that's as cool but for me personally i've always i've always thought that is awesome to watch people uh just understand the fact that all of the stuff that we're doing is is a form of self-improvement and we all, every single person that I've ever met in my life, everyone possesses the ability to get better. Yeah, no, I think you're, you're spot on. And uh, I think anyone in the Sacramento area has a chance to come through Super Training Gym should definitely go check it out. I know, you know I've been through there a couple of times and the most recent time, you know, went in there and I was, like you mentioned earlier, kind of rehabbing a bit of an ankle issue. So I was working on some strength work and it was just great to have like some pointers from from both you and Encima and everyone else there about just some, some strength work stuff that I can maybe do in the gym that you've picked up. And I think that's where a lot of your value sometimes comes from Mark too, outside of just your own personal experiences is uh, so many people have gone through that gym. You've kind of been like a sponge to a degree and you, you get to hear and see what they're doing and maybe pair that up with what you've seen work within the industry and things like that and piece together what I would consider probably a much more individualized approach for a lot of people when they come in with, with a specific problem. And you, you'll see people like myself or Ben Patrick, who's big into like bulletproofing your knees and ankles and things like that. Or even someone like, I think Michaela Peterson was recently in your, uh, in your gym and, and she's not a fitness enthusiast by any, by any means, but she's had some ankle issues that have been really troublesome for her historically. And just kind of learning from, from, folks like yourself in a non-intimidating way in a spot where some maybe would think would be intimidating is kind of a cool uh, setup to have there. Yeah. I mean, if you're thinking about this, like if, uh, you know, you had a couple friends that you go run with here and there, uh, if you invited, you know, me and Andrew and Encima to run with you guys, you guys wouldn't be running full blast, laughing at us, uh, you know, running circles around us, flicking our ears and, you know, messing with us the whole, well, hopefully not. Maybe, I don't know. You <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's, it's more like you invited us to go on the run because you wanted to, you wanted to see if we would enjoy some of the same things that you enjoy. And all you're really hoping for is that 
somebody just catches like a little piece of the fire that you feel every day to get up out of bed to run because you know that like running as silly as it may sound it is like changed your life it's been a it's been a huge part of your life um and it's something that's like it's hard to like hard to put your finger on it you know like when you uh, don't perform well i don't know if you've ever had this happen before but i've i've like had the greatest times ever with lifting where I've laughed harder than I've ever laughed before. And I had some amazing times, but I had some times where I remember driving home from the gym. I was super frustrated, like crying, literally crying about it, you know, and then you, you kind of grab a hold of yourself and you're like, okay, well, there's some things that I'm not doing if I'm actually being honest with myself. And there's not a lot of great reasons to cry about it. And you kind of, uh, you start to sort things out and recognize, uh, that there's, there's probably some good solutions to, uh, whatever it is that you're dealing with, but it just, uh, it ends up meaning so much to us sometimes. And I think that we maybe kind of undersell that and it's a huge thing. So something I suggest to a lot of people is, um, if you know someone that got injured doing something, playing volleyball or whatever it is that they were doing and they can no longer do their sport, I always tell people, Hey, check in on that person, man, see how they're doing, seeing, uh, you know, see if you can maybe invite them to to maybe go to the gym with you and train some arms or something or, you know, see if you can kind of get their mind uh, somewhere else because it's a lot harder to deal with than uh, somebody might think. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that this episode's sponsors are Inside Tracker and Optimal Carnivore. You can get $200 off Inside Tracker's Ultimate Plan or 10% off Optimal Carnivore's list of products. Head to the show notes for details or go to zachbetter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. Yeah, and that's a great point. I think it's also something that I noticed that you try to make a, a goal of doing is like when you find yourself at a spot where now all of a sudden you've reached a goal or an objective, you don't just think, okay, I made it to the top of the mountain. What's next? You think, what can I do to pull some other people up here with me? And I remember back, this was few years ago, uh, you had just kind of gotten started with, uh, the, the 15 minute walks where, uh, you just wanted to get people to be active. And you're like, I don't care if this leads to you becoming a marathon runner, just someone who's trying to lose a couple extra pounds after the holidays or someone who's going to eventually be a power lifter in the gym. But it's always got to start with like kind of that first step. And you thought like, Hey, what's easier than getting a group of people together and let's just go for a 15 minute walk. And, uh, kind of jumpstart that process or show people how low that barrier to entry can be if you really want to kind of just start making changes. Yeah, walking is awesome. I mean, it's good for your body. It's good for your mind. Um, it's good for your metabolism. It's something that just kind of adds to your overall caloric burn for the day for those that are interested in, uh, you know, trying to maintain their weight. And it even to some extent is a form of like general physical preparedness, especially for some people that are, uh, maybe not all that physically fit at the moment. I mean, you can, there's so many different things you can do when you go on a walk, you could wear a weighted vest. If you need to figure out a way to try to make it more challenging, um, you could periodically, uh, do some push-ups or some squats. If you wanted to make it more difficult, um, you can find some good Hills. I mean, if you start really walking Hills or you start <laughs> hiking, you'll find that to be really challenging. And I actually, on some of my hikes, I've actually found it harder to walk than to run. Um, it kind of reminds me of the sled. I don't know how many people listening right now have, have really run with the sled as opposed to just walking with the sled, but walking with the sled seems to tire your legs out in a different way than running. It's like the running, the running with a sled seems to like, uh, 
hit you uh, in terms of getting your lungs smashed, but the walking with a sled seems to just really burn the hell out of your legs. So um, sometimes walking, you know, it, it it's kind of an undersold thing. People don't really, I, we're seeing more and more people talk about it now, but yeah, I encourage people to get in some walking, especially people that just have never in, engaged in any sort of exercise. Um, we just had a guy on our podcast uh, today, that, and he was just kind of saying, like, he doesn't even really put uh, walking into the exercise category. It's just a form of movement. And I actually agree with that statement. And I think we just need to figure out a way to get people to move. Um, I have one uh, a guy, a friend of mine, who's um, he's very overweight, and walking was too challenging for him. His knees were banged up. His feet were banged up. And I said, hey, what, what are some things you did when you were young, you know, that you really liked that are forms of movement that you think you can get back into? And, you know, it gets to be over 100-something degrees here in Sacramento. He's like, you know what I really love? I love swimming. And I was like, well, that would be great for you to get uh, back into some swimming. And so he got back into some swimming. He also rides his bike, and he's lost about 40 pounds. And so it and, – and it wasn't – the diet that he's on isn't some crazy, he didn't make the changes he made. They're not insane. Um, but the progress he made is profound. It's huge. And it's just off of some walking. Um, he also lifts too. So that's important to point out, but he's walking and adding in some swimming. So wherever people can find room or find an opportunity to, um, to just stay active, uh, I think is really important. The other thing that I think walking does too, is I think, in this day and age, I think we need things that uh, kind of occupy us a little bit differently than just being on social media. And so for myself, even though I might still be listening to a podcast or taking in some information, because I try to use everything as like a classroom. When I go on my walks, it's kind of like a classroom. I'll, whatever I'm into, I'll try to dive into that and listen to uh, something. So it, I'm kind of, uh, I guess, multitasking. And I sometimes even do that when I'm, when I'm running, but I think we just need to try to figure out what are, what are some like healthy practices I can engage in every single day. And I think walking is a great one. And maybe you, maybe you don't like listening to podcasts. Maybe you just listen to some music. Something I've been doing more recently is I've been running to a song. I just, I'm not used to running. So for me, running for three minutes or five minutes uh, is maybe as challenging uh, for somebody to run 30 minutes or for someone to run an hour. Um, it's just newer to me. I haven't done much running um, in my life period, except for just whatever running I had to do for some sports. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to pick this seven minute Metallica song. I'm going to just take off and I'm going to run, run to it. Um, and I'm also just trying to like, not only lower the level of entry into stuff. So I share that out with people like, Hey, run a song, you know, can you just hang in there long enough to run for this four minute song or whatever that just the only rule is just don't stop. You know, just try to keep your, your feet moving and try to have something that looks more like a run rather than a walk. Um, and so that's just been really beneficial is to like, you know, lower that level of entry into, uh, some fitness and to try to just invite more people into it so they can kind of get caught by the bug and hopefully they can uh, have more positive stuff uh, in their quote unquote feed rather than them consuming, uh, you know, so much junk. We get enough of that from all the different foods that we got and we get enough of that from social media. Yeah, no doubt. I think it's, it's interesting to, to think about all of that stuff. And 
when uh when you first started walking at what point did you start kind of getting a thought of like hey i'm gonna try to walk 50 miles or i believe you calculated it to be a hundred thousand steps yeah you know I've, I've been walking for a long time i started walking uh probably probably about 10 years ago and uh the 50 miles the hundred thousand steps was done just uh just a few weeks back. And so, um, you know, it, it, uh, it, not like it took that long to train to be able to walk that, but it's, my son asked me one day, he's like, how many steps do you do in a day? And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. I think I always get in around 10,000 and I'm like, sometimes it's up to like 15 and every once in a while it'll be at like 20. Cause I just try to stay active and keep moving throughout the day. And, uh, he's like, you should try to do a hundred thousand steps in a day. And I'm just like trying to do the math. And I'm like, I don't even like walking wise. I'm like, I don't even know if that's possible. <laughs> it would take a long time. I just never thought about it before. And some friends that I have that run pretty aggressively that run often. Uh, I asked a bunch of them, like, you ever look at the steps? And they're like, no, because <laughs> you guys just go in miles. Like you're not looking at like that number just doesn't even, doesn't mean much to you guys. So, uh, I find that to be pretty funny cause you're probably, you know, doing some enormous amount, especially on a day where you, uh, maybe run 20, 30 miles or whatever it might be. And especially on a racing day when you run a hundred miles, but, um, yeah, my son kind of put that in my head. And so I was like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give that a shot one day. It just seems it goes and it goes along well, with a lot of what I like to talk about, about, you know, putting one foot in front of the other and um, figuring out a way to keep that momentum. And so the interesting thing I thought was, you know, from being a guy that uh, was in this sport, um, you know, where lifting the most amount of weight was how you got judged, uh, it took a lot of resilience and it took a lot of, um, you know, it took a lot of mental toughness to kind of get through those training days that, required you to work through and around injuries and to work uh with weights that you thought that you couldn't previously do and then you come out the other end and you get stronger and over time you gain confidence and you're like oh I can do this and so walking 50 miles I was like I don't, I don't you know I, I know that I've walked 30,000 steps before you know when I've been in like New York City and been on some trips where you just have to walk a lot um but I'm like, man, I don't know what it's going to be like to, to walk 100,000 steps, walk 50 miles. I don't have any idea. And the interesting thing was it got pretty intense at times. Um, it, you know, it was also kind of during the summertime. It wasn't, luckily, it wasn't crazy hot on that particular day. Um, but my, I've had tightness in my legs for I don't know how long. Like I just even as a kid, I couldn't sit down uh, crisscross applesauce. You know, I couldn't I couldn't sit that way comfortably for more than a couple seconds without like getting like a leg cramp or something. So as I'm on this walk, I'm like, man, I, if I cramp up, like I'm toast because once you're sort of dehydrated and once you cramp up, then you're screwed. Then you get a cramp in your calf. Then you get a cramp in your arm and like. I'm sure people can relate that are listening, you know, once, once you get that going on, man, it's, it's way too late. So I was just doing the best I could to stay hydrated, um, you know, drink water and, uh, you know, get some element in some electrolytes. And, um, it was like, it was funny cause I was watching other people talk about walking this amount of steps on YouTube 
And, uh, you know, they were complaining about their feet and complaining about this and complaining about that. And I'm like, these guys are a bunch of little bitches. I'm like, how hard could it be? It's just walking. I mean, just <laughs> putting one foot in front of the other. Come on, what are they, what are they crying about? Now, I'm the type of person, I'm not going to, I'm not really going to complain. So the entire time I did the best I could to, to just focus on, hey, like, just get to the 50 miles and then you can kind of complain as much as you want once the task is kind of over with and done. Um, but, you know, I, I actually really thoroughly enjoyed it, but I was also um, the aftermath of it. I mean, so once I got to about the halfway point, it got into my head. I'm like, I kind of actually now I'm wondering, am I going to cause like some permanent damage? I'm like, because my, my calves feel like they're swelling up quite a bit, you know, and then towards the end, I don't know what was going on, but I got a rash on the back of my legs and, um, my feet were definitely swollen. And then, uh, I mean, it's all of this sounds so pathetic to mention because it's just walking. Right. But it just is what it is. When I got done, I was like, I couldn't get back into my regular car, which <laughs> The car is like low, you know, not super low to the ground, but just like a normal vehicle or whatever. Uh, I had to call my wife and say, hey, can you pick me up in our SUV? <laughs> and so she, because I, I wanted to just kind of like side shuffle into the car and didn't want to like cramp up and all these different things. And so she uh, she she came and rescued me when the when I was done with my walk. But that night, I couldn't even lay down flat. I had to uh, fall asleep in like a recliner and elevate my feet and start to try to get, uh, you know, some of the circulation, I guess, going better. Cause my, my calves are pretty big anyway, but they, they looked huge. They were swelled up uh, quite a bit. Feet were swollen up quite a bit. I wasn't really necessarily in pain, but my body was extremely uh, stiff, like literally as stiff as a board. So I couldn't really bend from the waist. Um, and yeah, it was just, it, man, it took, oh, I gained a bunch of weight from the, uh, from the walk, which is kind of interesting. Um, and uh, Ryan Stoper uh, that works here at Slingshot with me, he, he's uh, one of our videographers. Uh, he also gained some weight during, and I think I gained like 10 or 12 pounds. I think it's just, you know, I drank a lot of water. I was trying to make sure I ate enough and stuff like that during the process. And I think maybe afterwards my body was just, I, I'm sorry, I didn't gain 10 or 12 pounds from the actual walk. I, I gained 10 or 12 pounds a day or two later, mm -hmm. I should point out. Um, probably just my body kind of soaking, soaking all that stuff up or whatever. But yeah, it was a real trip and I had to kind of manage, you know, going into my hot tub and going into my sauna and like doing cold, hot contrast to like try to shake all this, uh, shake all this off. And then maybe about, man, you know, it took, it took, if I'm being totally honest, it probably took, it probably took over a week to fully recover and to feel normalish, but my like metabolism was screwy and I could tell because I just didn't want to be on my normal diet. So I was just like, I, I'm not the kind of person that really tries. I don't try to force things too hard. Um, although I do like to take on some challenging things here and there. And so I was just like, I'm just going to let my diet be whatever it wants to be. And it wasn't like totally gluttonous, but it was, uh, definitely, uh, a diversion from the way I normally eat. So I just let that happen for a little while. And then about two weeks later, I was kind of back to my normal self. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes, makes a lot of sense. Actually. I think the, the listeners will relate to that. who have run an ultra marathon. It's a, it's just one of those processes where 
I always find it interesting. Like you go, you step on the line of a starting line of a race or like the morning you're going to do the walk and you're like, yeah, I'm pretty fit. I'm feeling good. You know, I've rested a little bit the last few days so that I'm ready for this activity. You know, I did some of the training or the work to be ready for it. And then in the matter of another day, you're just a shell of yourself all of a sudden. And, and yeah, then there's like that two to three days of just like this swelling, like you're at, you just like a water retention weight gain, which is probably just the, the swelling dehydration kind of like backlash and, uh, and just probably a bunch of hormonal, like, you know, just disturbances and things like that. And, And a lot of times these things come with some sleep deprivation. So, uh, the funny thing is with a lot of ultra marathons is, especially the hundred milers, sometimes they'll start at some weird time, like maybe four or five in the morning, or some of them will start at like six at night or something like that. So no matter how fast or slow you are, you're losing a night's sleep and no one's really going to be sleeping really well the night before a big activity like that. So you string together a few days of poor sleep quality, putting a ton of that stress on your body, dehydration and fluid imbalances and stuff along the way. And uh, yeah, you get a recipe for, for some, some interesting aftermath, but yeah, usually after a week, things start to normalize that, that, that swelling kind of flushes through, you start feeling like you can start to kind of move around at a, at a reasonable, uh, functionality, I guess, uh, from what you felt like those prior few days, but, uh, it, it's an experience that's probably worth, worth doing once, but, um, it's probably not for everyone. Either. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, uh, like I said, it was, and you know somebody else could maybe just somebody that doesn't want to walk that far or doesn't think it's in their best interest or a good idea for them to do it i mean maybe your version is to do twenty thousand steps or maybe Mm -hmm. your version you know maybe somebody listening uh that likes running just wants the challenge of one day being able to run 10 miles or something like that and i think it's definitely worth it's worth investigating it's worth trying out you know people that are interested in in powerlifting i always tell them you know just go to a powerlifting competition one time. Uh, if you're interested in uh, bodybuilding, just go to a bodybuilding show one time. Just watch it, check it out. Um, and you're going to run into people. You're some, you know, you're going to end up talking to somebody there and it turns out they have a gym that's close to your house or something. And, um, you know, maybe you'll get invited to go train or go do something with somebody, but these, you never know, you know, the, what you never know what the thing is that you're going to pick up that you end up like falling in love with and that you do for the rest of your life. It's pretty amazing. My son um, is into playing the guitar and I posted a video of him playing the guitar um, on Instagram one day and I just said, I don't know what this is going to turn into for him. I'm not sure if it's just a little hobby thing that he does as a teenager or if he gets, you know, more into it down the road and wants to pursue it in different ways. But like whatever the case is, I think it's cool that he, you know, has picked this up. This is not something that I ever, I never told him he had to play an instrument or it's his, its own thing. You know, he does actually come here and, and lift and stuff like that. But uh, this is, this is his thing. And my wife doesn't play an instrument. I don't play an instrument. And so, um, but what somebody wrote on my Instagram was really cool. They said, Hey, you know, um, different people have different ways of coping with things. And maybe for you, maybe one of your coping mechanisms was to like go to the gym. Like that's your kind of fallback. Like, oh shit, I'm really pissed at that guy or that situation didn't work out um, with my relationship and, and fuck it. I'm going to, man, I'm going to go to the gym. 
you know, and maybe for, they're like, maybe for your son, rather than, you know, reaching for a beer or reaching for drugs, maybe he plays the guitar. And I was like, holy shit, that's fucking <laughs> awesome. So uh, that's the kind of way I think about a lot of these things. You know, when we're in our times of need, I often say lift through it, but you can insert, run through it, <laughs> walk through it. You know, you have these things that you, you do, you are kind of shocked at how much you enjoy them, how much you like them. I, I'm pretty shocked that I actually like running. I think I've gotten far enough along to have felt uh, some small bouts of like a runner's high, which is, uh, is pretty interesting. I, you know, I've heard people talk about it all the time. I'm always like, what the hell are people talking about? I'm like, running makes you so tired. I can't even, I can't breathe. You know, that's all, all I recognize from running and it just hurts, you know? Um, but once you get kind of get past a certain threshold, you, uh, you do start to recognize these things and I'm excited for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It kind of provides, I've noticed like over the course of my running career, like the runner's high has always been a little different depending on kind of what I'm doing. And it's just like you, sometimes it'll be like, I'll do some short intervals where I'm not looking forward to them at all going into it you're a little uh, kind of nervous about all of it. Cause you just know like the, the higher intensity stuff's going to have to hurt a little bit. And then uh, you know, afterwards you get done and you get that kind of euphoric feeling of accomplishment and it kind of sets you up for, for like a good chunk of the day. Uh, and you start to kind of figure out like how that all fits into the, your own specific routine and you can start, start to see it and feel it. But I think oftentimes with running you kind of got to get through maybe like a three or four week phase of just like, why am I doing this to myself before you put yourself in a position to have any of that, that, that good feeling. Uh, so sometimes I think that can be the, the part that people struggle with is uh, they, 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 they don't get to that point where it becomes enjoyable versus just kind of a chore and, and they kind of miss that the value in it from there. But uh, it sounds like you've powered through that <laughs> quite, quite easily. So um, that's good to hear. Yeah. You know, I, I found uh, that like, you know, running in different areas kind of makes a difference. Like I, I occasionally like will run on a track just cause it's easier to like measure, mm -hmm. you know, how far I'm going and, you know, there's trackers and stuff like that and, and all those things. But it's sometimes nice just to kind of see, you know, how you're running on a track type of thing. And the, the, uh, the ground is, you know, just a little softer and a little different. So I'll, I'll do that occasionally, but I typically am like running, uh, these trails that we have here in Davis, California. And, uh, they're amazing. I mean, there's just like tons of trees, there's birds, there's, I'm usually running in the morning and the sun is coming out and, uh, you know, just gives you like a euphoria. And I found that like, while I'm running, um, and, and didn't get hit with the same stuff while I was walking, I, I found that they've been quite different from each other. Uh, walking, I have actually noticed, um, can help put me in a good mood, but walking, uh, I also, tend to if i'm walking at a good pace um i can tend to be a little bit more creative or more receptive of like learning and so that's when it's great to listen to a podcast or if i want to listen to some information on like nasal breathing to help me with my running uh it's usually like better for me to do that while i'm walking like running is like maybe at the moment maybe it's a little too much for me to concentrate on like something else but what i've noticed the difference with running is kind of like an appreciation uh just uh being like grateful 
Like I'll be running and I'll be like, man, I don't even know if I've ever noticed these trees before. Meanwhile, I've walked past them for the last, you know, several years and just never even really recognized them before. So I think there's something, at least for me, that's happening uh, kind of in my mind or brain that is uh, kind of opening it up. And I noticed that on the beach as well. And I had a particular day where I was running, um, which was really interesting because I'm like, I think I, I, it just felt like, you know, you, in the moment you always feel that way. But if someone said, Hey, keep, keep going, I, I'd probably, probably pass out soon after that. <laughs> but I was like, man, I kind of actually feel like I can run forever. Like this feels amazing. Like it felt effortless. I felt like my breathing was pretty good. And I was like, Holy shit, this is a, this is amazing. So, uh, it, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing. Cause when you're lifting weights, um, you don't really feel those same things. I mean, there are some ops, there are some times in a workout where you'll get hit with like a euphoria. You know, you get a good pump going, you get in a good amount of work and you you feel like accomplished um or when you get done lifting a heavy weight uh if you've done so with like good form and you did it kind of the best of your ability the way that you wanted to actually do it. Um there's definitely a, a real sense of like empowerment that, that goes on with that. You're like, that felt really good. I, um, I did exactly what I set out to do. And there's something that feels really, uh, extraordinary about like kind of manhandling something. You're like, that felt just savage. That felt really good. Like something like flipping a tire or, you know, deadlifting a certain amount of weight. There's, there's something to those things that, um, that you don't really feel when you run and there's certain things that you feel when you run that you're not feeling when you're lifting heavy. So I think it's good for people to just explore, like why not try some jujitsu? Why not try some running? Why not try some walking, try some lifting? And there's many different versions of all of those things. And I think that's another key thing to think about is maybe you don't ever care to run a long distance race, but I don't know, maybe you start working on sprinting. Cause I think that, you know, to try to sprint out of nowhere, you you might hurt yourself, but to be able to, the, the thing to keep in mind is you can, so while you may not be fast now, you can always be faster. While you may not be strong right now, you can always be stronger. While you might have piss poor endurance the moment, you can have more endurance down the road. And so there are things to explore. And uh, I think there's just, there's so much to be gained from exploring some of these things and from doing some of these things. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things about coaching someone who's new to running is they do have such an upward trajectory in terms of like, you know, you're seeing improvements like very quickly and in sometimes really big chunks and uh, just being able to kind of reflect back about that point when and, you know, I'll experience every once in a while myself too, if I get hurt and then I have to kind of like let myself more or less get out of shape and then build back up. You see those big improvements, but there is something about doing it for the first time that is uh, just a little more, uh, a little more interesting, I think. So it's always fun to, to try those new things and see where that growth comes from. Did, uh, so do you have a date where you're going to try to target the sub six minute mile, or is that kind of just in the, in the distance at this point? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I didn't have, didn't set a date for it. Um, it, we'll see, like, maybe I'll have to, cause maybe I won't, uh, like, uh, be heading in the right, in the right direction to do it unless I force myself to kind of do it. But as I mentioned earlier, I, 
I don't really like to force stuff that much. So um, I want to see if it just sorts to starts to come together naturally. Like I just started running and I've been thinking like, Oh, I'll hit up Zach or I'll hit up this friend or I'll talk to this person or I'll read about. And I'm like, you know what? Like you're so new, just, just run. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then if you're too tired, don't run. And if you feel good on a certain day and you feel like you want to run more then run more on a day where you're like, man, I don't know, something's weird with my ankle. Just don't run, you know, cause it's all so new to me. I wouldn't think that same way. If I was doing it for a while, I might think more like, okay, well, this is what today calls for and kind of forget about how this feels or that feels. And I don't want to get into that spot um, because I have learned so much from lifting that the recommendation that you would give to like a novice is actually great recommendation for someone who's super advanced. And if I look back to my lifting career, um, while I did lift a lot of weight and was very successful, I definitely could have still lifted a lot more. I could have been a lot more successful uh, had I had I kind of uh, had the wisdom that I have nowadays to uh, sometimes kind of pull back on stuff. So um, I would like to do it in 2022, um, but uh, for now, I'll just leave it at that. And I don't have any idea how long it even takes me to run a mile now. So I, I think what I might do is I might uh, go to the track and just say, let me just see what it looks like to run like an eight minute mile. Cause I just don't have, like I said, I don't have any clue on where I'm at. And um, then I'll just kind of go from there. And I, I, I kind of think that I could run like uh, maybe like seven and a half minutes or something, or maybe even a little bit better than that. But um, whatever the case is, when I do the six minute mile, I would love for it to represent like 90 or 95% of where I'm at. I don't want to, I don't want to have it be this like monstrous effort where I nearly die at the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it makes sense. I think you're, you're heading into in the right direction too. I think like with something like that, you definitely want to be excited about the specific workouts that will ultimately get you to that speed. But what you're doing now with kind of running a little more intuitively and listening to your body is great. Cause you're just going to build that kind of aerobic foundation that is going to ultimately be the, be the, the base that you're able to put, maybe some short intervals on top of that are more specific to that six minute mile pace. That'll prepare your body to be able to handle the rigors of, you know, going around that track four times and, uh, hitting it in that 90 ish second time frame. So, uh, no, it sounds like a, a cool idea. And I know we'll hear plenty more self-experimentation type activities from you in the future to go along with this stuff. And I mean, we haven't even talked about your, your bodybuilding phase as well, because after you did the the power lifting stuff, you challenge yourself, uh, to try check out that world. And I think it's kind of cool because like, if I just look at like a, a timeline of your, your history in sport, there was you and your powerlifting days where you, I mean, you were just a big guy all over. You kind of looked like maybe an offensive line. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 30 pounds. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you think of like the guys on the football field on the offensive line and it's like, you know, super strong and powerful, but just big in general. And then you get the, the power lifter, or I'm sorry, the, the bodybuilders. And it's like, they're definitely big, but you just so chiseled. It's like a little bit of a different approach. So what was it like, or was there something that kind of spurred you? Was it just your curiosity? You said, Hey, I've tried this world. I'm going to try this one now. And like, what kind of changes in mentality and things like that? Did you have to, to kind of transition from that to the next? The bodybuilding thing was really interesting. Cause, um, 
I've never even been to a bodybuilding show. Um, powerlifters oftentimes, you know, find it to be the funniest thing in the world to make fun of bodybuilders. And so, um, and it's just like, it's just all jokingly, or you know, but um, so I've always kind of been of that nature. While I've always appreciated bodybuilding and been mesmerized by guys like Jay Cutler and Dorian Yates and Ronnie Coleman and all the great bodybuilders uh, over the years, um, I found it all to be very inspiring, but I was always like, I don't think I would ever mess with that. Cause I don't know. Uh, while at times I did get my diet, uh, pretty good during my powerlifting career, cause it still required a certain type of discipline to nutrition. Um, I was always like, man, that seemed like it'd be really hard to do some of that, uh, for, X amount of weeks and sometimes X amount of months to be able to get on stage and to be able to be lean enough to, um, I don't know, even feel comfortable doing that. Cause it's a weird thing. I mean, you're up there in your underwear and you're, you're posing. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely a new experience and, and, uh, quite strange. Like if you're not, if you're just not used to it. So yeah, the whole thing was a new experience for me. Um, I had a coach on my show named Hani Rambad, and Hani worked with uh, Jay Cutler and uh, Phil Heath and many other uh, Mr. Olympia winners. And um, I was just, he and I were going back and forth on the show about just some different training methods and this and that. And he was like, Mark, he's like, you know, right now, he's like, you look great. He's like, I think you owe it to yourself and you owe it to the fans to do a bodybuilding show. He's like, I think it'd be great. He's like, I think everyone would love following your journey. And I was like, well, I'm like, I don't know anything about bodybuilding. So I'm like, I, I don't, I, I said, I guess if you coached me, then, then I would do it, you know? And he said, absolutely. So we just kind of went from there and it was, uh, it was a short turnaround time. It was about eight weeks later, uh, that I competed and, um, just ended up having a great, uh, transformation even though i was in good shape like there's to be like in contest shape for bodybuilding is pretty crazy you have to get really you have to get really really lean and i think one of the mistakes that most competitors make is they just don't get that lean they might still look good and have good muscle mass and but you can always tell you're like oh that's probably the guy's like first show like he just is not because no one really cares as much as much as it might sound kind of kind of funny is that uh, no one really cares about like how big the guy is or how the main thing is just to get as lean as possible. And so for me, I wanted to really try to dive into that the best that I could. And I think, you know, if I was to if I was to grade myself on a scale of one to ten, I think I think I put in about an eight point five or so I I did you know, in consideration with having kids and running a business and uh you know, having a wife and, um, us actually being on vacation for a large portion of that time. Um, it, it was, it was definitely very challenging. You know, I, I always think there's room to do, to do better, but I, you know, I worked my ass off for it. And that's probably the reason why I, I wouldn't choose to want to do another one is like, um, I know that the next thing to do is to go to like a 9.5 or a nine, you know, on a scale of one to 10. And that just, it creates a lot of sacrifice, you know? So if I am to do another bodybuilding show at some time, it would be probably more like when I'm 50, maybe to give me a particular goal at a particular age. Um, but you know, uh, the experience of it was amazing because I, in powerlifting, 
I always felt like I, I went like a hundred percent. I felt like I was like almost like a 10 out of 10 in terms of how determined I was. Like, did I do the workouts the right way? Did I eat the right way? Did I get the right amount of sleep in? Did I do, you know, A, B, and C? Did I check all these boxes every single day for like my whole career? And while I was doing it, I kind of felt that way. And even after I was done, I sort of felt that way. Uh, you know, there's always room where you could have done a little better here or there, but it's like for the most part, man, I kicked ass when I was doing that. When I did the bodybuilding show and I got to like the sixth week of, of preparation for the show, uh, I was like, wow. I was like, you know what? I think if I'm being honest, if I look back at my powerlifting career, I think I might have been at like 60 or 70%. I might have only been a six or a seven, not a 10. <laughs> and so <laughs> it just showed me like that extra, there's just something, there's something, uh, there's something on top of it all that makes it so hard because in bodybuilding, it's 24 seven. So mm -hmm. everyone can kind of claim that their sport is the hardest, but bodybuilding is a really strange sport in a sense that you're judged on all of your habits. Every habit that you have, good or bad, is going to show up in your results on the stage. And there are people that are able to mask it sometimes with a little bit of drugs or um, a combination of drugs and genetics and this and that, but like it's still going to really show up on game day. And when it comes to like, when it comes to like powerlifting, there was definitely a lot of wiggle room on, on how dedicated you had to be to your diet. Like it didn't matter if you ate a Snickers bar or if you had some ground beef and rice, if the calories were similar and you were staying in your weight class, it really just didn't matter that much. Um, it always matters, but it was probably to a much smaller degree as opposed to, you know, making sure that you're in tip top shape on a bodybuilding stage. Cause you have to do, not everyone does cardio, but in my case, cause I had a short time period, I did cardio. Um, obviously a lot of lifting in some cases, lifting twice a day, uh, for the last three weeks, I lifted twice a day and did cardio twice a day. So who the hell even has time for any of that stuff? <laughs> 90 minutes of cardio every day. Um, and then, um, even just tanning, which sounds kind of silly, but just extra time requirement that because you got to be dark on stage and they do kind of paint you the day of the show, but it helps to have a base tan before you even mess with any of that. And then you have to learn how to pose. And then you have to kind of keep in mind that it's an actual show. Like you're trying to be like, not just up there flexing and posing, but you're trying to be a little entertaining because if you're a little entertaining, then uh, maybe it uh, helps you win. And so, um, Man, it was a it was a hell of a challenge, and again, to have that courage to go up there, uh, I applaud anybody that's ever ever done any form of bodybuilding that way to to be so exposed. It's just like being a little pair of underwear on stage, posing in front of people is definitely an interesting uh, experience, and it's it's courageous, and it it takes a lot of uh, a lot of discipline, a lot of willpower, and a lot of heart. Yeah, I think the. The interesting thing to me about that, that, that sport is just like you said, the 24 seven, you, you can't be off when you're in that like eight weeks. Well, I'm sure even the, the top of the sport, probably even longer, depending on what their timeline looks like, eight but weeks, usually, yeah. eight weeks is pretty standard. Yeah. Cause no, I think I said 16 and oh, then, 16. and then for, and that's even like, that's for like professional bodybuilders, but guys that uh, are drug tested, um, they're 
their preparations even a lot longer because they they can't manipulate as quickly and so mm -hmm. their preparation could be double that amount of time yeah yeah and that's the other interesting thing about of the sport of powerlifting and bodybuilding is it, like most sports kind of went a direction where it was just like we're going to regulate and try to make sure all the professionals are are clean or drug free whatever you want to call it but uh like powerlifting and bodybuilding kind of just said well let's just have two categories and and if someone wants which i guess is probably the best response to that in the sense that like i get the idea of like you don't want to like force someone to have to be able to do like performance enhancing drugs for a sport that says hey it's okay because then you kind of eliminate that person from being able to ever really compete but then on the same regard if it's going to be something you can't hardly even regulate then you kind of have this weird situation where some people are cheating and some people aren't uh but yeah you like you said with the timeline thing i'm sure the the natural guys probably have to be a little more on point like a little further out to to since they don't have that edge it's such an interesting topic you know the drug situation in any sports um I think I think what the problem is is that um, I think most competitors uh, would be excited that if you're a natural competitor and you had a faster time because there were guys that were on drugs were ahead of you, you had a PR, you had your personal best all-time best run or all-time best lift. Um, the problem becomes the fact that. Yes, you did your best, and yes, it was great that you had someone else to chase after. I guess the problem becomes is they took, they kind of took your spot from you with a slightly different set of rules, you know? And I mm -hmm. think that's the issue is that you're trying to, you know, when you play a sport, like if anyone listening has kids and you play a sport with a kid, uh, you play with your nieces, your nephews, your, your own children or whatever it is. Uh, you'll notice that a kid, as soon as they start losing, they change the rules, you know, <laughs> they change the rules to their favor or they're like, oh, let's just play a different game, you know. Um, and as an adult, I think you're trying to set up these guidelines. We're, we're going to play, you know, we're going to run one mile and, you know, here's some of the rules of the race. Like you can't knock somebody else down. You can't trip somebody else, you know, like there's some, there's some, uh, there's probably some stuff that's written. There's certain shoes you can wear. There's probably certain stuff you can't wear. Um, and then in terms of, uh, you know, potentially having a, what might be considered like an unfair advantage, it's like anything goes with your food. But, uh, you know, when it comes to increasing your testosterone levels or doing things that may alter, um, you know, taking something like EPO or something like that, like, those things give you too much of an advantage. So let's just say no to all of that. So yeah, I always find that to be a, a really, really interesting thing in sports, you know, in powerlifting, I'm not really sure why it happened, but powerlifting exist, existed forever um, for a long time, many, many years without having drug tested federations. It was just like open. Um, bodybuilding was the same way. It was just like just bodybuilding. And then I start, I think what happened is over a period of time, people started to recognize how rampant it was for people to be on steroids. But in addition to that, it wasn't until like the uh, beginning, beginning of the 90s where steroids in America became a scheduled three drug. 
And so that it brings up even more interesting things because, uh, you know, whether something's legal or illegal, um, that brings in some morals and stuff like that that makes everything real interesting. Uh, if you look at um, the uh, Olympic gymnast uh, that uh, was, was taking a prescription drug and then she wasn't allowed to compete in some of the some of the gymnastics uh, or, or Simone Biles, I'm sorry, she competed, mm -hmm. but didn't do as well and even had a situation where she just didn't compete at all in one of the events. Um, and so it just, it raises so many uh, fascinating questions, but I've always kind of thought that sports are, are interesting uh, or are a little bit more interesting without the limiter on them, you know, without having a, a governor on top of them and, you know, having something like NASCAR where you can build the cars as crazy uh, as you want, even within those confines, like they have certain rules and restrictions to maybe perhaps protect the drivers so that you don't have as many uh, deaths and stuff like that. And bodybuilding, unfortunately, there's been a handful of deaths, um, like literally about four or five deaths that I can think of in the last two or three years. Um, of course, people in bodybuilding are saying, hey, it has nothing to do with drugs, but these are people that are 50 years of age and younger. And you're like, well, um, hmm. being somebody that has used performance enhancing drugs myself for over 20 years, I'd have to say they certainly don't help. I don't think they're helpful towards uh, your health unless you have some sort of condition where you have, you know, really low amounts of testosterone or, or some rare cases but no one was no one was taking it because they had like a testosterone deficiency mm -hmm. yeah yeah it gets interesting with that sort of stuff and you know just what all goes in and out in order to get you to the spot where you're where you're at and you know one other interesting like non-drug related with with your just history through sport too i think is the nutrition side of things uh because you've done such a wide range of things whether it be like at the professional level or just to to test your own limits. That's something that you're curious in. Have you found that you've identified a nutritional approach that works best for you just in general versus here's a specific activity that I really need to be open to manipulating certain things just because of the uniqueness of, you know, maybe bodybuilding or running or powerlifting? I found personally for myself, it just appears that, um, I do best in terms of having a uh, lean and fairly strong body for myself at this time um, with like real modest amounts of carbohydrates um, on a day where I'm going to, on a day where I would consider that it would be like higher carbohydrate, it might be like up to like a hundred. And uh, like, I just don't, I don't think my energy output is at such a crazy level that I need uh, a lot of carbohydrates. And that could be because I do like to eat like red meat. So I get decent, decent amount of fat, uh, along with protein. And that just feels really good for me. Um, but even while I was bodybuilding, the carbohydrates weren't real high either. And you, a lot of times you'll see bodybuilders go on a low fat, high carb, high protein diet. Um, but even when I was bodybuilding, I think the most amount of carbs I would eat in a day was still like 200. Um, and that wasn't even every day, just kind of depending on the the demands of the training and it kind of depended on how I felt. Like if I started feeling sluggish and stuff, we would bring those up a little bit or we would bring the fat up a little bit. Um, but what I will, what I have to say is that 
every diet that I've tried, they all have worked great. Uh, I've done Stan Efferding's vertical diet, which I think is an awesome diet, which I think is one of the few diets that really promotes. There are some other people doing similar things where they're promoting your nutrition to be super nutritious. But I think when it comes to fitness, a lot of times people are just thinking about getting lean and a lot of times that's negatively impacting their performance. They're not really having great workouts. Um, and, and because they're not having uh, great workouts, their, um, their output is not nearly, you know, what, what you might think. And so I, I think it's important to get, it's important that your nutrition is very nutritious and that it's nutrient dense and that it has, you're checking off all these boxes every day for your macronutrients, your micronutrients, um, your electrolytes. You, you need all these things for your body to really be functioning uh, at a good level. And so the vertical diet's worked well for me. A bodybuilding style diet has worked well for me. Um, ketogenic style diets, I still love them. I used them when I was powerlifting after every competition that I did to uh, reduce some weight, get some bloat off of me because I was would be really heavy and really big for uh, the powerlifting uh, competitions because uh, having more weight, having more mass, mass can help you move more mass. And so I'll just get myself pretty much as big as I could handle uh, at the time and then kind of decompress afterwards with a ketogenic diet. And um, just utilizing a low-carbohydrate, um, protein-based diet is usually the best thing for me because it allows me to control the overall amount of food that I eat and it just makes everything a little easier. When I start to introduce a lot of carbohydrate, the carbohydrates for me, they allow me to eat, um, they just make it easier for me to eat too much. And so therefore I have to, I have to just pay attention to how many carbs I eat because otherwise I'll just be off to the races, uh, eating way too much food. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting the mindset of, or maybe not the mindset, just the, the way people are impacted by their food choices. And I think one of the biggest kind of keys to success is for one, like being aware of what's out there. Like what are, what are the options really that have been successful for other people? Because it's probably highly unlikely that there's like this, this one diet that's going to work just for you and nobody else. So you can probably tease out a lot of the workable situations by looking at, kind of larger groups of people that have had success with, with stuff, but then ultimately having uh, like a list of different approaches and say, okay, maybe I'll try these different things, you know, whether that be high carb, low carb, moderate carb, ketogenic low, or, you know, vegetarian, like animal product based or something like that. And finding out which one of these ends up putting me in the most intuitive position where if I just kind of go about following these, uh, these parameters, I don't have to overthink it too much. And then I don't, there's someone like yourself who's busy in a variety of different angles, probably doesn't want to have to think about like, oh, did I, if I eat that, you know, that, that carbohydrate and it's going to lead me to eat a bunch more mindlessly. And then I have to like go back and try to correct that with my next meal or something like that. It might just be easier for you to have a situation where, uh, whether it's, you know, hunger control or whatever it happens to be that a certain way of eating just happens to kind of match your lifestyle a little bit better. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, quite simply, it's a, I'm on a meat-based diet and uh, I'll eat some fruit. I'll eat a potato here and there. I might eat some rice here and there. Um, 
but that's pretty much it. And when I say that I eat like a potato, I'll have like a potato, you know, maybe once a week or something like that. Other sources of carbohydrates might be some vegetables. I don't eat a lot of vegetables, but we'll try to get in like one serving every day. And I really enjoy fruit a lot. Um, at the end of most days, I will sometimes end my day with a protein shake. Um, and then I'll also have uh, some cottage cheese with some fruit in it. And I found that to be just, uh, sometimes I'll even pour a little bit of like honey on there. Tastes delicious. Kind of, I, I kind of have a sweet tooth. So that's something that gives me something that's nutritious, healthy, um, not super calorically dense. It gives me some uh, carbohydrates and also gives me like, I think there's, <laughs> I learned an interesting thing doing a really weird diet. I did a diet called, uh, called the wine, a uh, bottle of wine a day diet. <laughs> and by doing this diet, um, it was a diet that was presented in Vogue magazine, I think in like the eighties or seventies or something like that. And, um, you would drink a bottle of wine every day and you would have like one glass of wine and like two hard boiled eggs. And then you'd have another glass of wine, like for lunch and you'd have, like three hard boiled eggs and then you'd have like a steak and uh i think a steak and some vegetables at dinner uh with whatever the remainder amount of glasses of wine you needed to have you know um it made it challenging to try to figure out how to drink like this and, and drive around and stuff like that. <laughs> it before was, uber uh, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah you, you hit your ride with somebody um but what it made me recognize is, is how much of your satisfaction is tied up, or at least for me, me personally, uh, how much of my satisfaction is wrapped up in my food. That diet was actually really easy to follow. And I don't, I'm not a huge drinker. Um, I do enjoy drinking uh, here and there with my wife or my family here and there. But for the most part, I don't, I don't really drink often. But what alcohol does to you and kind of what it does for you uh, puts you in this in this good mood, almost the same way a, uh, you know, a piece of candy, you know, might, you know, a Snickers bar or something like that, uh, might, uh, so the satisfaction side of things is, was really interesting. Cause I'm like, okay, so that makes a lot of sense. If you give yourself not just what you need, but occasionally give yourself what you want or strategically give yourself what you want, um, it's going to make the diet less painful or uh, make the diet feel fairly easy. And one of the things I've learned over the years in helping uh, hundreds of people uh, lose over 100 pounds and helping thousands upon thousands of people lose weight is one of the coolest things that I'll hear, the feedback that I'll get from somebody when they say they lost weight, it's followed by them saying, and it's not that hard. You know, they're like, hey, I lost 40 pounds. You know, I, I listened to that podcast you did the other day, or I I uh, took your advice that you DM'd me uh, six weeks back and I lost, you know, 25 pounds and it wasn't that hard. That's what you want people to say is because you, you want the change to be not just some, uh, not just all of a sudden they shifted all their habits from being really horrible to shifting 17 different things in the right direction. While that would be amazing, uh, it would also be very uncommon for anyone to shift over so many habits in the right direction and continue down that path and continue to head in that, in that direction. Normally, what you see from people that kind of make this big shift, this starting on Monday type mentality is that starting on Monday, they utilize some intermittent fasting. 
They don't eat any carbs. They started a keto diet. They did their morning fasted cardio and they get in their lifting session uh, and they do A, B, and C Monday. Then they get to a little bit of on Tuesday, Wednesday, they're tired. And it's just a you know downward spiral from there where it's really, really difficult to keep that discipline and keep that willpower. And so you want something that's going to feel, um, you know, it's going to take effort. It's not, it's not easy. These things are not easy because they are such large changes. It's such a large step for you to take that first step with running or take that first step with having a nutritional intervention. It's not going to feel easy. Uh, but over time it will, it won't feel like such monumental effort. And I think a really great place for people to start is if you're not currently doing this, eat a gram of protein per pound of body weight. I think that helps a lot with satisfaction. I think it helps a lot with uh, staying satiated and um, just keeping yourself from getting too hungry. Um, eating some fiber every day is a great idea to also help uh, keep you um, keep you feeling full. Uh, drinking water with every meal is another good idea to help keep you full. I think for a lot of folks that are trying to lose weight, I think the main battle is against their hunger and the main battle is against their cravings. Another thing you can try, especially if you really struggle with hunger, is to try some intermittent fasting. You know, become buddies, become friends with hunger. Just welcome it in. Say, hey, all right, well, you know, you've been a real pain in the ass to me for a long time. Uh, I can't beat you, so I'm just going to join you. Why don't you come hang out with me for a while, and we'll do a little bit of fasting every day. You know, just make sure that when you do some intermittent fasting that you're not counter-correcting it by doing a lot of overeating or by ending up in a situation where you binge. So a key element with fasting is to basically just pretend it never happened. The only way that you're going to be able to pretend that it never happened is that you fast in a modest way until you maybe get more used to uh, maybe moving towards like a 16-8 type of thing or or something like that. But for me, you know, my diet is pretty simple. It's it's I utilize a protein-based, an animal-based uh, diet. And like I said, there's sometimes there's a little bit of fruit in there, maybe a little bit of rice, maybe a potato. Um, and I utilize intermittent fasting. It all just seems to unfold and, and work out really well for me. And it's allowing me to get some good training sessions in the gym, get some decent running in, get in some walks, still be present for my family and not be a bag of shit day <laughs> and still being able to do podcasts. And, uh, that's the other thing, man. It's like you, you don't want to miss out on opportunities cause you're like lethargic, you know? And so you gotta make sure you're getting in your sleep and there's a lot of hygiene to kind of, uh, to to be uh working on at all times and that's what makes all this stuff uh, at times makes it so difficult perfect no mark i want to thank you for giving me a good chunk of your time today after uh after getting back from your vacation and kind of just sharing your your experience through sports and nutrition and some of the business stuff that you've worked on and obviously uh you know super training gym is uh, something that i think is just a great asset to the community in that area and anyone who's in that in a in that area should definitely go check it out but um before i let you go if you want uh, to share with the listeners where they can find you feel free to drop in your social media or website links and things like that and I'll also put those in the show notes yeah i'm at mark smelly bell i'm on tiktok i'm on twitter i'm on instagram 
Uh, I also have a YouTube channel, which is at Mark Smilly Bill. Also have a podcast, which you've been on a couple times now, um, called Mark Bell's Power Project. That also has a YouTube channel, and that's growing uh, super fast. So we're really proud of that. But uh, to check out some of the products that we talked about, the slingshot, I make um, elbow sleeves, knee sleeves, wrist wraps, knee wraps, all different kinds of wraps and straps to make your lifting uh, feel a little more comfortable. And you can buy all that over at markbellslingshot.com. And if you, uh, depending on when you listen to this, you might be able to catch some of our Black Friday sales going on. Awesome. No, that'll be, I'll put all that stuff in the show notes and thank, thanks for sharing that, Mark. And uh, thanks again for, for coming on. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, folks. If you are interested in adding some structure to your training program, I have some options that might interest you. Over on my website, ZachBitter.com, I have a wide range of ready-made plans that have options for beginners to advanced endurance athletes. I also have personalized plan options where I will cater a plan specific to the event you are preparing for and your personal schedule and training availability. You can also access a variety of add-on options from email collaboration to consultation calls to help guide you through your training and nutrition needs. You can access these with or without a formal plan. So head over to ZachBitter.com and let me know what you think.